Uh, this morning, there's going to be some quite a bit of scripture. So if you don't have a Bible with you, I recommend that. Um, the ushers are coming down the aisle with Bibles right now. You just raise your hand and they will hand it to you and just go ahead and take one. I highly recommend it today. Um, and if, that, if you do not have a Bible, as Pastor Paul loves to say, please do take that Bible. We would love to give it to you, take it home with you um, today. And I will also be reading some of the, just the page numbers too, so that you can get there quickly as well. Um, so open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And in this text where we find ourselves that the people of God have gone through a lot. They were in exile in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule and they were in slavery. And then they were rescued and redeemed and brought out of Egypt there were plagues and pillar of fire and these amazing miracles that split in the Red Sea through Moses and the tablets and the wilderness. They went through years and years until they were brought to the promised land. And now they're in that place, in the promised land, is where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 14. And in 1 Samuel, we're introduced to two serious boneheads. Like when you think about boneheads, I'm talking about the ratio of bone to gray matter is highly favored on the bone side and less on the gray matter side. Like what I mean is if you were to put this individual's brain into an MRI, you would see more bone than brain. Have I mentioned these are two boneheads that I'm going to introduce you to this morning and they are Hophni and Phineas, maybe you've heard of these individuals, but they are two priests of Israel in 1 Samuel 4, and they, have I mentioned that they're boneheads, where the bone is thicker than the amount of brain in the head. They're boneheads because they are priests in the temple, in the tabernacle at that time, the people of God are in a place called Shiloh, which is like Jerusalem Junior. It's the predecessor to Jerusalem. And they are stealing from the people. They are dishonoring the sacrifices that people are bringing to the tabernacle. Not only that, but they're committing adultery with the women at the gates. These two priests are corrupt religious leaders. And their father is the great priest, Eli. So Eli is overseeing this and overseeing his sons run the tabernacle, these two boneheads, doing horrible things. And God is overseeing Eli. <clears throat> and in 1 Samuel chapter 2, I'm not going to read it, but if you read it later, God tells Eli, I'm done with this. You have neglected the tabernacle and your sons are running amok. I'm done with this. Your household is doomed. Your household is doomed. There's destruction coming to you. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 4, that's exactly what happens. The people of God are attacked by a foreign nation, the Philistines. And when I mean attack, when I say attacked, I mean that they were whooped 
spanked, like you thought last weekend with the Vikings and the Packers was bad. This was worse because people died. Thousands of people died. And so the the people of God are freaking out because they just got attacked and they're now regrouping and they're saying, what should we do? And someone had an idea and they said, we should bring God into this battle because he's on our side, so we should bring him in. And so what they do is they go and get the Ark of the Covenant. And if you're new to the scriptures, if you're new to the Bible, the Ark of the Covenant is like this box. It's ornate. It's got gold plating all over it. It has these creatures on top called cherubim and a, 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 a seat called the mercy seat. And it represents the presence of God. And if you're new to the text, it's kind of weird. But at that time, God was attaching his presence to this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Israelites are like, let's bring this Ark of the Covenant because it represents and brings with it God's presence into the battle. And so let's pick it up there. That's where they do this. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And I'm going to go to verse 5. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5. If you're in a blue Bible, it's 2.28. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has ever happened before. So the Philistines are freaking out. They hear it. They see it. They see what the Israelites are doing with the ark and with how they're calling on their God. Woe to us, verse 8, woe to us. Who can deliver us? from the power of these mighty gods. And check this part out. I love this. And, and, and keep a bookmark on this right here because it'll, it'll kind of ring through the rest of the sermon. But these are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Stop right there. The Philistines remembered. They remembered. The enemy remembered that God had delivered them. Verse 9, take courage and be men, O Philistines, unless you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So, check this out. What happens? The, Israel, the, Phil, the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. The people of God bring God into the battle, bring the Ark of the Covenant, bring the presence, and Israel was defeated? And they fled, every man to his home, and there was a great, very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. What's happening here? What's happening here is that the people of God, starting with the leadership, have forgotten who they are, and whose they are. And because they've forgotten who they are and whose they are, there is this domino effect, this cascading effect, all the way down the entire house of Israel. 
that has led to this place where even when they summon God's presence and bring him into their battle, like we sang, you know, we come to the battle, we, the, the battle belongs, that song. Even, even when they brought God, they were still massively defeated. The people of God have forgotten who they are and whose they are. And it has, the consequences are massive, far-reaching. And we see it at the leadership level from Eli down to Hophni and Phinehas. They've forgotten who they are and whose they are, and they're abusing their position. And there are generations upon generations of cost to that. And we see that even in our own lives today, that when we forget who we are and whose we are, there is a cost. I know of an individual today, someone I dearly love, who has forgotten who they are and whose they are, and their marriage is crumbling, and their kids are having to face this in their teenage years, and it's going to have, it's going to leave a mark. It's going to leave a mark on the family tree, it's gonna, there's a fracture because this individual who once, who once knew who he was and whose he was no longer remembers who he is or whose he was. And it's having a tremendous impact, a massive impact. And while I joke about Hoffie and Phineas being boneheads, I mean that when we're boneheads in the area of knowing who we are and whose we are, there is a tremendous, there are tremendous consequences, generational consequences. First Samuel chapter four, verse 12. Let's continue on. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh. This is that Jerusalem Junior, the place where the tabernacle is. Came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and his, with dirt on his head. And when he arrived, Eli, uh, Eli the high priest, was sitting on the seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. I find that such a fascinating verse. I wonder what's going on there. Eli, you don't just become the high priest. People don't just give this to you. What's Eli's story? It's amazing. He, later it says that he was, he ruled for 40 years. And he's led the people of God to this situation. He's allowed his sons to run amok in the tabernacle. So, He's sitting here on the side of the road watching and his heart is trembling because he saw the ark go to the battle and this man comes to him. So pick it up here, continue in verse 13. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. Verse 14. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? And the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old. And his eyes were set, or they were fixed, so they couldn't focus, so he could not see. He was blind at this point, essentially. And the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, well, how did it go, my son? And he who brought the news answered and said, Israel fled before the Philistines, and there's been a great defeat among the people, and your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. 
Verse 18, and as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gates and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel for 40 years. This man, Eli, forgot who he was and whose he was. Verse 19, and now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she bowed, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending to her said to her, don't be afraid, for you've born a son. But she did not answer or pay attention, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Ichabod is what she named Eli's grandson. What a heavy story. When we forget who we are or whose we are, it leads to all kinds of compromise. And when we enter into compromise in all sorts of ways, it ends up leading us into exile. And I say the word exile because that happens in the Old Testament over and over again. The people of God forget who they are. They compromise. They get all wrapped up in the culture. They start to look less and less set apart. And they start looking more and more like the culture. And then eventually something happens and they're in exile and separated from God. This happens. It happened and it happens. We forget who we are and whose we are. And then... It gets as dark as this passage where it gets to the point where Ichabod is written and the glory of God, the presence of God has departed. But there is a 1 Samuel chapter 3. And praise God, there is a 1 Samuel chapter 3. And it's about the individual which, which, which this book is named, Samuel. In fact, Samuel, when it was first written, it was one book, and we split into two. But Samuel, in first chapter, in, this, in, in first Samuel chapter three, this is this amazing story where this young man, Samuel, is being, is an intern under Eli. And you may know the story, but in verse three, or I'm sorry, let's, let's go to verse four, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel's sleeping in the tabernacle, called Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, here I am, and ran to Eli. And so Samuel thought Eli is calling for him and said, hey, Eli, here I am. You called for me, what's up? And Eli said, I, I didn't call you. Go lie down again. So he went and lied down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I didn't call you, my son. Go lie down again, silly kid. But now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He didn't know who he was or whose he was at this time. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And so he got up and went to Eli. He's like, Eli, what's up, dude? I'm here. You called me. And Eli then realized what's going on. He realized the Lord was calling Samuel. 
So Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in this place. And the Lord came and stood and called again, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And on that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken occurred concerning his house and from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he didn't restrain them. And therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that iniquity of Eli's house shall be atoned for by the sacrifice and offering forever. Shall not be atoned for by sacrifice and offering. God told Samuel everything he was about to do. And then the next piece, I find this fascinating, is that in verse 17, Eli said, what was it that God told you? Don't hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all he told you. And so, verse 18, Samuel told Eli everything. This is before the battle. And hid nothing from him. And then here's Eli's response. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Two thoughts. One, how, how do you get to the place Eli's at? High priest, I assume when he first began to know the Lord, there was this passion, there was this devotion, there was this, this intense love of God. And now, 40 years later, he's being told this prophecy that he's about to just get ruined. And Eli's like, all right, well, let God, let God do it. Let him do it. something to ponder. This is a highly mature religious leader. And look at the state after 40 years this individual's in. A lot of good discussion there. But the second part is the hope in that the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this corruption that's happened in the house of Israel, that God is raising up Samuel. Hallelujah. That even when we start to forget and we start to um, forget who we are and whose we are, and we start to compromise and move more and more into the things that God hates and does not like, that he is raising up Samuels. And, you know, one thing in the beginning of 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, it says, the second half says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no frequent vision. I find that fascinating as the people of God have forgotten who they are and whose they are and begin to compromise that the word of God gets quieter and the visions cease and the miracles stop. There's a distance. Makes you wonder when, when we start to not hear God's voice or not see visions or not see miracles, we should be asking, well, what is going on here? What is happening? Are we drifting apart from God? Have we, have we forgotten who we are and whose we are? Now, God raising up Samuel is significant because I'm going to fast forward the story to 2 Samuel 6. So if you want to take your Bible and flip over to 2 Samuel 6, 
I want to show you and remind you why this is significant that he rose Samuel. And I'm just going to give you just a little glimpse here. Because Samuel ultimately leads to King David. And the people of God back in 1 Samuel 4, they forgot the value of the presence of God. And they were basically, if you think about it, they were using the Ark of the Covenant like a, like a, um, like a rabbit's foot, like a, uh, like a good luck charm. That's how they were approaching it. They were using God to bring him into their battle and for their efforts and their purposes. They really didn't care about God. They didn't really care about his presence. They just wanted to win the battle. So they just like leveraged God, leveraging God for their purposes. A good luck charm, essentially. And then, therefore, the presence was taken away. God allowed his presence to go away. But Samuel ultimately leads to David, and David, he cared for the presence of God. In fact, he wanted to fight to get the presence of God back. He wanted Ichabod to be no more. He fought to get rid of Ichabod, get rid of the mark. Let's restore the presence of God to the house of Israel. That's what he wanted. And so he did that. And so in verse 1 of chapter 6, David, there's this battle that happens. They defeat the Israelites. They get the Ark of the Covenant back. And David again gathered the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Now, I, I want to pause here for a second because I was reading this and I'm like, 30,000? Where have I heard that before? In 1 Samuel 4, there were 30,000 dead. And in this passage, we're seeing 30,000 alive. You see, when the leadership, when the followers of God remember who they are and whose they are, that leads to life among all the people. And so in the first picture, 1 Samuel 4, we saw 30,000 dead men. But here we see 30,000 alive because David honors and loves and treasures the presence of God and goes to bring it back. In verse 2, when David arose and went with all the people who were there from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits at the throat on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, who was on the hill. And Uzzah and Aho, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God and Aho before the ark. And David, check this, and David, verse 5, and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and, and castanets, haven't seen that one yet, and cymbals. They're worshiping God. And then I loved, you kind of fast forward down to this famous passage in verse 14. It says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And I just see David celebrating the return of God's presence to the house of Israel. He wasn't using the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm to make sure he was successful in his goals. He was just celebrating God himself. And that led to the entire community celebrating God's presence, returning to the house of Israel. What a beautiful picture when people, the people of God, remember who they are and whose they are. Now, what often happens when we go 
have a mountaintop experience. I'm sure you've had these mountaintop experiences. Trial Lake Camp is notorious for giving you these mountaintop experiences where it's like, yes, I'm on fire for God. I remember who I am. I remember who God is. God is, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna like save my entire neighborhood. It's like this big, right? And we have this tendency to say, I will never forget again. I will never forget again. But they forget again. They do forget again. They forget. And you know the story of David and Solomon and his compromise. And so then David, so then God raises up Jeremiah. And then they remember and then they forget. And there's exile and God raises up Nehemiah. And then they remember and they forget. There's exile and God raises up Haggai. And then they remember and then they forget. And there's exile. And God raises up Joel. And then they remember. And they forget. <clears throat> and this isn't an Old Testament thing. Just flipping your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. It's page 1028. This is not an Old Testament thing. This is all the way through the entire scriptures. I mean, remember, in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the people of God are under the rule of the Romans. They're in exile. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 says this. He's, God is speaking through John to this church in this city called Ephesus. He says this. God is saying this to this church in Ephesus. I know your works. Church, I know your works. I know your toil. I know your patience endurance. I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you've tested those who've called themselves apostles and are not apostles, and you've proved them false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Verse four, but I have this, against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. God is saying, I know you do great things. You have great programs. You have great worship. You have great Bible studies. You do amazing things in the community. You know your doctrine. You're able to sniff out apostles who are false. You're doing great things, but I have this against you. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten who you are and whose you are. If you look to the right here on, in page um, 1029 in, in, verse th in chapter 3, Revelation 3, he talks to Sardis. He says something similar. And we could study the differences, but I just want to point out the similarity here. I, and it says in, a, like, like the second half of verse one, it says, I know your works, Sardis. You have the reputation for being a church that's alive, but you're dead. You've forgotten who you are and whose you are. You've forgotten why you said yes in the first place. Do you remember, for those of you who are married, and for those of you who are not married, you can go along with this and maybe 
adjust it to your, where you're at. But if you remember when you're married, why you said yes in the first place. Remember that first date? I remember my, so my kids love telling the story because I, I invited Joy, my wife, to go see the movie Titanic because that, was, that came out when we started dating. That dates myself. And I, I was nervous, so I called her. She worked at a restaurant, called her there, and I said, hey, do you want to go see Titanic with some friends of mine? <laughs> there was no friends ever. So embarrassing. So then she said she could hear my voice that there were no friends. I don't know how. But I remember making that. I remember making that phone call. I remember how I felt. I remember how I felt when she said yes. Mm. I remember what I felt like when I first held her hand. Then, I wanted to take her skiing She'd never been skiing before. She's a California girl, grew up in California, didn't ski. So I'm like, well, let's take you or do something really dangerous. <laughs> and the night before, I threw up seven times. I was so sick. Like, I wasn't sick because I was nervous. I was, like, physically sick. But I, like, I look at that, I reflect on that, and I go, I, there's, there was nothing that would stop me from going to Afton Alps with joy. Nothing. I remember, I remember that. I remember our engagement. I remember thinking about how I'm gonna propose. I remember writing a poem for her. I remember planning out the spots. I remember planning for the marriage and the wedding. I remember planning out her first place. I remember why I said yes. And I'm so captured by this because this is what God wants. When he says, you do all this great work, you are doing amazing things, you're, going, you're, you're doing awesome stuff. But do you remember who you are and whose you are? Um, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to close with this. First of all, I want to share that um, there was a, I'm going to share a little story, a brief one. You just keep your eyes closed. It's kind of weird, but um, uh, there was a pastor that Joy and I, um, we'd, in college we'd go to and hear him talk, and he tells a story about how he was driving his car and he was looking off in the distance, kind of distracted from his wife and kind of just not aware of what's going on, just like his mind was elsewhere. And they're driving, just the two of them in silence. And his wife says to him, hey, 
And then she, he goes, what? And she goes, hey. And he goes, what? And then she says this. Do you love me or do you not? You told me once, but I forgot. Do you love me or do you not? You told me once, but I forgot. And so, the people of God, again, are in exile. I want to read to you from Jeremiah chapter 2. And the, the, the context is the people of God are, are in exile. They've forgotten. They've compromised. So God sends Jeremiah. Hallelujah. He sends Jeremiah. And I want you to close your eyes. And I just want you to hear God speak to you this. Jeremiah 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. God says this to the people of God. I remember. I remember the devotion of your youth. I remember, and I'm going to paraphrase here, I remember when you said yes to me. I remember, and this is back to God, I remember your love as a bride. Just as a reminder, all throughout the scripture, God refers to us in terms of a marriage, bride, bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. I remember your love as a bride. I remember, last piece here that God says, I remember how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. And if you paraphrase, I remember how you would follow me anywhere. I remember how you were so devoted and you said you would go anywhere for me. I remember. God remembers. Even when we forget who we are and whose we are, God remembers. And God says, I am yours and you are mine. I know who you are. And I know whose you are. I'm going to pray, but... After the service today, we're just going to have a few people up here, some elders, some people from the women's ministry team just standing up here. Um, if you need any prayer at all, for anything at all, doesn't matter what, um, to start your year off 2023, we'll, just, we'll have people up here just to pray for you. I would encourage you to take advantage of that. Whether it's small or big, just come and receive prayer this morning. Don't let this moment and these thoughts and these emotions pass and just get back in your car and go home and watch the Vikings. Like, let's do business with God this morning. God, we remember how you have done amazing things for us, your amazing grace. 
how you saved the people over and over and over again. God, I believe that you are raising up Samuels over and over again. You're raising up Jeremiah's and Haggai's and Joel's. You're raising them up. God, I pray that you would, for 2023, that this year would be marked among us as an incredible year of growing to know more and more who we've been created to be and that who we belong to. Help us to be a people who remember. And Lord, when we start to forget, bring us back. In Jesus' name, amen.